Babs Love Talk on Babs Rolls Ivy. It's uh, Wednesday. Is it Wednesday? It's Wednesday. It's the middle of the week. No, it's Thursday. What is today? <laughs> oh my Lord. It's Thursday. Oh Lord have mercy. I don't even know what day of the week it is. This week is flying by. Ah, I think the older you get, the more it just flies by. It's like I'm racing to the grave. I don't feel that, but shoot. All right. So, you know, another day in America, another white, angry white man killing folks in Maine, no less. What is going on? Listen, white people, y'all might need to get a White Lives Matter thing going. <laughs> y'all might need to go hashtag White Lives Matter. Because damn, if these white men ain't, it ain't white women, it's white men. Walking in in places and killing up a bunch of people. Like, y'all need to do something. Have real conversations amongst yourself about what is the matter. Because, you know, y'all could talk about boys in the hood all day. But what we ain't doing is walking in spaces and killing people. Ugh. That's tough. I didn't even know it happened. I woke up this morning. I was like, what the hell? 22 people. White people, y'all need a White Lives Matters t-shirt stat because this is, this is, y'all not going to make it. <laughs> y'all are white folks. Y'all not going to make it. Y'all keep running up in places, killing yourselves because gee whiz. And this cat is on the run and he's military. So it's going to take a minute to find him. They're going to catch him. I mean, you know, you could be military all you want. You just one guy. They're going to put the whole full force of the law on you. They're going to find you. And, you know, when you kill that many people, you should just turn yourself in. I mean, if you're bad enough to do that, then you're bad enough to, you know, take your consequences. Because what the hell are you doing? I don't know. These, these white men are out for blood. And y'all still want to sit around and say, it's not the guns. <laughs> he ain't going there and stab 22 people. <laughs> He ain't poisoned 22 people. Shoot. He ain't hit 22 people with rocks. He shot them. Oh, Lord, 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 Lord. I, You know, somebody needs to help y'all. Y'all, white folks, you need a hashtag white lives matter. Swear to God. Because y'all have to have some real conversations about what is happening. Because this gun sickness is going to be the death of y'all. Literally. Anyway, <laughs> that's just my two cents. I don't know how y'all do it. You want to walk around here and pretend the, the guns are not the problem? Guns are the problem. I know, I know. Here comes the people. Well, you could kill anybody with anything. You know, gun, cars kill people too. All right. Keep going with that line of thought. Okay. <laughs> you know what? Cars do kill people. So do knives. So do rocks. Anything can kill people. So let's just keep going the way we're going. No matter. You have a right to your gun. Okay. 
Everybody, everybody gun up. <laughs> Every, everybody gun up since we so gun happy. Everybody get a gun. Everybody gun up because I just don't know what we're doing. I just don't know what we're doing. And uh, and it is, uh, it is a, a problem. We have a real problem on our hands, America. A real problem. But no, go, go, just go and amuse yourselves with, uh, you know, Taylor Swift and Kelsey. It, it, just immerse yourself in that whole thing. Don't worry about the guns. And don't worry about the people in Maine. Don't just send, send your uh, thoughts and prayers. <laughs> thoughts, thoughts and prayers, because that's all we got in America. And we don't have have. We don't half-ass have that. Thoughts and prayers. Anyway, you know what? I got up this morning with my foot hurting me so bad that I literally, Harry, had to reach for my cane. And it, it's in my cane is in the dining room, so I had to hobble all the way in here. Now, the pain is subsiding, but it, it is, uh, it, it, and while I was in the bed, it was hurting. When I went to bed last night, it was just aching a little bit. I was like, did I bang my foot? Like, what the hell happened? I didn't go anywhere yesterday. I didn't do anything. So I don't know why this foot is hurting me. And so when I got out of the bed, I could not put any weight on it. And it's not, it's a very specific pain. It's not in my toes. It's like right by my ankle under my foot. I don't know what this is. And then I thought maybe it's gout. I haven't had a bout of gout in, a, in years and years and years and years and years. Years and years and years and years. So, so I'm thinking it might be that, but one foot, I don't know. So, so I have my cane and then I just took some, uh, some acetaminophen and see if that'll take away some of the pain. I don't even, I just don't know what this is. Anyway, it hurts. I, I, I hadn't used my cane since my hips. So, so it was really, I just couldn't put any weight on this foot, on this left foot. I just couldn't put any weight on it. Now it's you know when I sit down it doesn't it's fine but it was when I put weight on it so I don't know I don't I just don't know so hopefully and then my lower back hurts right I got this <laughs> and I don't know I think it's because I've been sleeping wrong but it's been hurting me the last couple of days <laughs> and then um I got a you know I have another tumor on my head. I got to go deal with that. Like, look, so I think the universe is saying, girl, you are physically falling apart and you physically need to do something about it. So I think I have to stop all the things and get on a health track, like a real health. I cooked dinner last night. I made some salmon and some asparagus. It was really, really good. I enjoyed it very much. But I think it's time to get serious again about my health. And I'm in the bathroom this morning. And I'm thinking to myself, girl, you are 60. Do you want to see 70? <laughs> get your life right. <laughs> and now my life is good. And let me tell you, let me tell you, now I've been having this awareness for quite some time. So, so talking about health and all this stuff is no 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 not it's not new and there have been times when i have rose to the to the occasion 
and and handled health and weight and all this stuff. I think now when I was on UConn's campus walking the law school, I was huffing and puffing. <laughs> I was huffing and puffing my knees, everything. I was like, oh, you got to get law school ready. And I don't mean just in your mind, in your whole body. You've got to get law school ready. And so, and I think this foot is just the, you know, first God speaks to me in a whisper and then a shout and then a full on slap. <laughs> I really think I'm in the full on slap mode because I'm not going to ignore this and wait for a bigger slap because a bigger slap will be something that will require me to deal with and from a place where I don't want to deal with. So I'm going to make a commitment here and now to get about it. So I'm going to, I'm going to do my level best. Now I'm not going to say I'm going to stop drinking all things, but I think I'm going to limit myself to a glass of wine a glass of wine when I'm out, just a glass of wine, I think. <laughs> I have to, I got to take this wellness thing very seriously, but you know, they say one glass of wine is enough. So I was like, okay, you get the, you get the health benefits of one glass of wine. Um, you don't get the benefits when you do a bottle of wine. It erases the benefits. <laughs> so so I got to get, uh, I've got to get health ready. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to get ready and put myself in good stead because uh, I need to. And, uh, you know, I need to. So, so that's where we are. So I think that's the gist of this foot hurting. And I believe it'll pass. You know, because it's not going to, I think it's just there to like, hello, hello, you need to do something. <laughs> so I'm going to just, I'm going to get it together. So anyway, uh, that that's where I'm at in the moment. Last night, Netflix uh, let me watch Rustin, uh, the Bayard Rustin story. And uh Bruce Cohen is my guest this morning at 10.15. And I watched Rustin. It took me a minute to figure out how to use the Netflix thing. But I, I figured it out. Because, you know, I'm a woman of brain and might. So I figured it out and uh, got in and, uh, and watched it. It was good. It was really... I, listen, Bayard Rustin was a titan in those civil rights streets. Uh, and he damn near got written out of history because homophobia. And I, I just chalk it up to homophobia, you know. But now we are in this space of, you know, we can, we can deal with folks, and uh, and so so so, uh, so we could deal with folks and hear their stories without everybody like, oh my god, so. Uh, Anyway, uh, uh, anyway, it was good. And uh, I didn't know that much about Bayard Rustin. I just didn't, you know, like everybody else, you know, he was about to be, he was uh, 
wrestle to obscurity and uh and to see his full life uh well not his full life but a glimpse of who he was i mean he was dynamic and smart as all get out and had a real eye for activism and bringing people together uh for protest he was good at that he was really good at it and uh just amazing you know so anyway I'm glad I got a chance to watch it and uh you know uh uh and he was friends to a lot of people Roy Wilkerson um Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I mean they were actual friends I mean you know uh Dr. Martin Luther King did him wrong a little bit know a lot but then in the end they 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 got it back together but you know it was some you know it was it, it was a caving in to pressure uh and all the people around and you know here's this is what i like best about this is that um you know everybody everybody wants to create that moment of time as if every black person was in alignment with Dr. King or with Malcolm or any of these cats, like, like the masses were just in line and, and they were not. There were forces within the, the folks surrounding these men, particularly Dr. Martin Luther King, that was not in agreement with what he was doing and was working counter to what he was doing. And I don't think we have enough conversation about, about that. And I don't, I don't, I don't say have a conversation like throw out the whole civil rights moment and and then reevaluate it, but reevaluate it from a place of truth, and then have real conversations about how people, how some people just wasn't on board with this whole thing, and then how some people uh, was aligned with with the with the white status quo of the moment that they thought that was a better way to go for equality. So so you see some of that in the in the Rustin film. Um, and you see some of who he was and why he was the way he was, you know, um, uh, and you see um, that he was not afraid of being um, uh, a gay black man. He was just himself. Uh, and it was refreshing to sort of see that. So anyway, I'm I'm looking forward to talk. And then all the Titans in this movie, like they got all kinds of people. <laughs> in this movie cch pounder uh uh you know uh oh lord i'll run i'll give you the rundown in a minute but there's a lot of people in this movie chris rock <laughs> jeffrey wright who i think is perhaps one of the most uh uh, uh illustrious uh uh actors of our day um uh, he's in it i think he's playing at uh adam clean powell uh you know it's just uh it's just amazing to sort of see the backroom stuff of these stories. Cause that's really what you're getting privy to the backside of, of, of the civil rights movement, you know, and, uh, and, and they touch on some stuff. They touch on how, you know, women are pushed to the back. You see it. Uh, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot there. Yeah. You get the racism part, you get, all the not support and all that kind of stuff. You see it, you know, so it was, it was good. And, uh, and Coleman, uh, Domingo is just brilliant. He's just, he's just gorgeous in this film. He's just gorgeous. 
you know, he's just gorgeous. So uh, I don't know. I don't know who I would have picked if it wasn't for him. You know, if it, if it wasn't him, I don't know who they would have picked because he's just gorgeous. He just seems tailor made for that role. Uh, and I didn't I didn't know uh 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 Bayard Rustin, so I've never watched any clips of him. So so this so if I had to if I had to say this is what he was like, then I would choose I would choose this guy, you know, because it was good. And so maybe this opens up you know a bigger a, a wider door so that people can really delve into. Uh, his story and his life and his accomplishments. Do you know what I mean? Like all the things. So anyway, I enjoyed him. I enjoyed it. So thank you. So anyway, I'm going to have this conversation with Bruce Cohen at 10:15, and and uh, and we'll talk about this film a little yeah. bit and the making of this film. And and you know, I want to hear what 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 was it about this story that you know captured your imagination? You know. And then when you when you when you're thinking about this, you know how do you how do you cast this? You know because you've got heavy hitters, and so you need heavy hitters to play the heavy hitters. <laughs> so anyway, I I'm just gonna I'm a I'll save my thoughts for when I get to talk to him in an hour or so. So anyway, but anyway, back to the back to the world in which we live because it's just crazy out here. I just don't, I don't understand what people are doing. I really don't. And uh, it's just a, a, a tough, a tough time. Uh, and then, you know, the, the local elections are on and popping. There's a lot going on. These, these uh, all the manic races are really, they've got some challengers. Uh, uh, particularly in the Cove, I'm up at the New Haven Independence site. So up at the Cove, they've got a three-way, three-way alder race. Has that ever happened before? Wow, people really want to do this job. All right, okay. Uh, oh, that's right. The United Church on the Green's got a new, a new minister. I might have to go check him out. Uh, uh, his first African American senior minister. All right. Um, he was installed on Sunday at two. United Church on the Green. I was down there, but I wasn't there for this. I was there for uh, uh, for the poets' so poetry sermon. So, Doctor Reverend Reverend Doctor Stephen C. C. <laughs> Doctor, no, Reverend Doctor Stephen G. Ray Jr. Uh, so he's uh he's uh he's their new minister, and uh, uh, I'm reading. Sorry. So anyway, uh, I I'm looking forward to uh what he has to say. You know that church is dwindling in in uh, congregants, so maybe he could, uh, you know, uh, bring it back, bring it up. I, I might pop in and check it out. I might. I could. I might. So we'll see. You know. Yeah. 
the center center church is uh they're both ucc churches so his church where he's is the united church on the green which is the one to the to, on the right side to the right of the center church because we were on center church center church is right in the middle and then uh uh, the other churches on the on the right, so uh, they look very much alike. <laughs> they have the same same pews, the same setup, the same look. So <laughs> yeah, so they're both UCC churches. They're both under the United Church of Christ. One is just a center church, and one is uh, United Church on the Green. So so yeah, I, I'm looking forward to. Uh, I might I might go check them out. I might listen to them. I'll see if I can get them on the show, have a little conversation about, you know, where we think the church is going. You know, now that churches all across the country are dwindling in numbers, except these mega churches, which I don't understand the allure of these mega churches. I think these mega churches, are, are, uh, people feel like they can just go and get lost, get a word, go in, get a word, get lost and out. Do you know what I mean? Whereas a smaller congregation, you are seen and you are called to task. <laughs> I don't know what to do in mega churches. I I don't I don't know other than be big, you know, be be really really big. So I I like my church to be small and intimate. That's what I like. I don't really care for a giant church, you know. I don't. But then I I've been like that, you know. I don't. I didn't go to a giant high school. I didn't go to a giant college. I mean, grad school probably was the biggest at school. Uh, uh, that I attended, right? It's just because Baruch is giant. So, you know, so anyway, uh, so yeah. Well, he was installed on Sunday. So welcome, uh, Reverend Dr. Uh, Stephen G. Ray Jr. Welcome to New Haven. Uh, so I'll read up on him and see what's up uh, and see... Uh, know what what his think thoughts are and you know where he is and the kind of preacher he wants to be here and you know get get a get a lay of the uh of the communities so uh, we'll see i know that um dixwell ucc reverend streets has stepped down because he's gonna go over to the divinity school and uh work on um social work uh uh, with them is they got a whole program happening over there around ministry and social work. So he's going over there to lead that. Um, so Dixwell uh, is without a a, a, a minister. So, uh, and you know, when they, when folks ask me if I know somebody, <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I have any ministers I could pull out a hat. You know, I know some ones that consider it for you temporarily, you know, uh, but I don't think they want the job job, you know. So, so you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, but if I if I ever was gonna pick a church home, I think I think Dixwell might be my next move. Uh, it might be. So we'll see. I, you know, I don't have to make a decision. I could just show up when I want to show up, which is what I like. But I mean, there's something about joining a church. There's something. Uh, that says commitment when you join a church so you know so anyway i don't think i want to join the church just yet but who knows who knows 
I I I need to get my foot right. I think this might be a gout thing. This really might be a little bit of gout. You know, because I can't think of I can't think of anything else. I didn't step any. I didn't do anything heroic. You know, I didn't do. I didn't. I didn't run or rip or any of that stuff. It just hurts. So this might it might be just a little bit of gout. Uh, you know. I haven't had any beer because beer is a good trigger for gout. But so is other uh, so, so is alcohol specifically. And I think, you know, now that I'm I'm taking Ozempic, which, you know, lowers all your blood sugars, right? And lowers all, all the things. Uh it might be uh any like I said, any any glass of wine feels like three glasses of wine. Do you know what I mean? Like that's how that's how it makes me feel. Cause I was like, gosh, I only had a glass of wine where I feel like I had 10. And I think that's what it is. So so my body is saying, Hey, you cannot have two glasses of wine now or three glasses of wine. You will only have a glass of wine. And you have to drink it slowly. <laughs> I think this is what I think this is I think that's my my deduction. That's my deductive reasoning. You know, because I, I, I can't think of anything else. So so I think this is God's way of saying, get your help, because you're 60. And if you want to see 70, you have to do some things a little bit differently. So I'm like, okay. You know. So you know, that's it. That is it. That is it. So, all right, let me see what else is going on in the world uh, beyond, you know, shootings. <laughs> God knows, America. Jeez. <laughs> Stop killing people. I'm telling you, white lives matter. Y'all got to get a t-shirt or something. I can't take this much more. You know what I mean? It's a lot. There's a piece up at, uh, let's see. I You know, when I when I open my, uh, my Apple and I have all these uh, little sites of news that come up, uh, you know, they... I get these recommendations of what to 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 read based on what I already read, which I kind of like. You know, sometimes I have interest, sometimes I don't. Um, and uh, sometimes I have interest, and sometimes I don't. And 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 they have a lot of stuff on here that that has my interest. <laughs> like there's a whole thing up on Eater about the wonderful. Wonkified world of vegan pastry, which if you've never had vegan desserts, they've come such a long way. And uh, when I was in Paris a few years ago, I, well, I, I went to the patisserie, a vegan patisserie. And let me tell you the level of decadence uh, that was on display every single day from croissants to pedophores to, I mean, just... <laughs> Whatever you could get in a bakery, bakery, in the vegan bakery was just so much more luxurious. So, so people are starting to discover that you know you can have wonderful, 
wonderful pastries and wonderful things to eat without um, butter and sugar, I mean, butter and milk, and cream, that you can get the level of decadence, the same level, if not better, uh, with alternatives to those things. And, uh, and, you know, it has always been my experience, whenever I bring vegan things, people are like, oh, let me try. And then they eat up all the vegan things. <laughs> I don't care if it's pizza to pies, to cakes, to biscuits, whatever. People get up in their soul about uh, uh, vegan. And then they, I don't know what they think. I think people think that all vegan food is just going to taste like broccoli and beets. <laughs> I think people think that when they bite into a vegan croissant or a vegan pastry, that it's just going to taste like grass. <laughs> and, it's, and so when they, when they take a bite of something and they're pleasantly surprised, you know, and they're like, wow, it's like, did you think it was going to taste like dirt? Like what? <laughs> and, you know, uh, and people always think that it's going to taste, you know, like a bowl full of vegetables, which is not a bad thing either. But I get it. When you want decadence in a dessert, you're not thinking broccoli. You're thinking creamy luscious yumminess <laughs> so so I'm inviting people to if I had the money I would have a vegan um, bakery because that would serve my own needs of course but I think there's a real market for it you know I, I always wanted to do that I always wanted this is what I wanted to do and I was hoping that I was going to win you know, the mega millions for a billion or Powerball, whatever it was, uh, that I would I would open a, a a vegan bakery coffee shop and I would only sell Jamaican coffee. <laughs> That's the only coffee I really like. I drink all kinds of coffee, but that and uh and the Italian coffee I like too. Italian coffee is no joke too. Um but I would I saw this thing some years ago. This must have been about 20 years ago. I saw this thing on TV, on 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 PBS or something, where um they opened a bakery and they and all the people who were formerly incarcerated worked at the bakery. And after three years, they uh get some stock in the bakery. So like the bakery becomes theirs. So that you can so that they could be build wealth and have a retirement plan. And I and that state that's that concept has stayed with me uh for a very long time. And I thought, um, I would love to do that here. You know, create a bakery uh run by formerly incarcerated people. Like I'd bring in a real baker, a vegan baker and a team so that they could teach how to make vegan pastries and breads and all the things, right? Um and then hire formerly incarcerated folks uh, and, and kids who who uh, uh, have had some um, justice involvement as interns or summer jobs 
Uh, and if, you know, if I had that kind of money, then I wouldn't care if it made a profit or not, right? Like I just wouldn't care. I would just be doing it because it's a necessary thing. And then uh, if somebody worked there for three years or more, then um, they would get a pension, of course, health benefits, like really good health benefits, um, just some good, some good, good opportunities so that people could, you know, to, so you could pull people out of poverty. And that's what I, that's what I wanted to, wanted to do. Uh, and a vegan bakery, I think would do, do well, uh, because there's so many people with different kinds of allergies and stuff and, and people who love bread. So, uh, uh, that's what I would do. We'd have pastries, and then we, and then on the front end, we'd have a, you know, it'd it'd be sort of like a marjolaine kind of vibe, but vegan, you know. Uh, so it would be a, a tea a tea room and a coffee shop and and all that kind of stuff. And then maybe it'd have a little a little bit of space for performance space, so it could be like you know, jazz after dark or something. You know, just a little space, enough space where people could do poetry or or have some small performance thing, you know, like a coffee house. It'd be like a coffee house, you know. Um, that's what I would I would want to do that. I would do it, you know, in the Dixwell New Hallville community, because that's where I'm from. It's where I live. Um, and now that all that redevelopment is going on, I think it would lend itself nicely to that. So that that's been a a, a dream of mine uh for a very long time. I, I don't want to run it. I just want to fund it. Do you see what I'm saying? Put my name on it. I will do that, you know. And, and my name is some kind of way that's really not my name. But I would I would really like to do that. Because I think that's that's how you're going to have to pull people up. Uh, and, and I can't be concerned about making a profit, which I think it would make a profit. But if I could fund it solely, and just give it some teeth for several years, you know, that would be my, my grand experiment. You know, that would be my social experiment, you know, um, and, and give people uh, retirement stuff and 401ks or whatever the hell are, or Roth IRAs or whatever the hell it is, you know, and help them. And then probably hire uh, a social worker um, to help case manage formerly incarcerated folks, because mostly formerly incarcerated folks have some probationary time, you know, or they'll need some help with navigating other issues as a result of their incarceration. And there's a whole cadre of things that happen to people when they go to jail and come out that, you know, um, they have to make restitution and, and uh, if they have child support, child support kind of stuff, um, you know, tax, back tax. I mean, oh, it's just it's just a whole bunch of ish that you have to contend with when you come out that people don't necessarily talk about or even know, you know. Um, so so to give them gain gainful employment, stable employment, uh a a career ladder of sorts, um, and 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 a and a livable wage, like a like a really good livable wage. So that they don't have to work eight jobs <laughs> to survive. You know, I would pay people well enough so that this would be their job, so that they'd have opportunity to go pursue other things. So if they wanted to go back to school, you know, we 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 uh, we provide um, um, tuition access for them. Um, I mean, that's 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 to me is is how you 
serve a community, you know, uh, that's what I would want to do. And, and then, you know, maybe we have two bake, two vegan bakeries, you know, one in Dixville and one in the Hill. I mean, I don't know. That's, that's what I would want to do. So, so that's what I was thinking about. If I would have won, you know, the one, the billion dollars, <laughs> I would just, and then I would build some housing, some really good housing for folks, uh, particularly formerly incarcerated folks. I would build some really good housing. You know, not not like not like these big projects that they're doing because I wouldn't have any, I, you know, that would be a lot. I don't want to do that. But, you know, a couple of units here and there uh, and uh, help people with home ownership, that kind of thing. Like, I think I would develop some properties that people could buy at a, at a re... Because, again, the goal for me would not be to make more money. If I have a billion dollars at 60-something... I'm not trying to make more money. <laughs> I'm trying to give it all away. So, uh, uh, so that's what I would do. I would, I would uh, cultivate some housing, uh, cultivate a, a, a vegan bakery, coffee shop idea, you know, uh, and then support my friends who have businesses, right? Like put some money in their accounts, whatever, to help them. You know, like I'd be a silent partner. Like, I don't want to hear a damn thing about how you run it. Because don't ask me to come in and do a damn thing. Just take this money. <laughs> do with it what you will. I don't need a report. I don't need nothing. I'm not running nothing. <laughs> you know, like, like if my friends who have businesses and they need to hire more people. Listen, I'll grant you some money and you... Cause I, I don't think you could just give people money. I don't know. I'd have to figure out a way to do it. So it doesn't be an adverse effect for them, but a grant of some sort, like I'd make a grant and they're like, listen, hire kids for the next eight summers. You know what I mean? Like the next 10 years here, hire kids to do this, 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 and then here do this, 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 here's some money to do community stuff under your, under your business. Right? Like I would do that, you know? I was like, look around and see who needs what, you know. Um, that's the kind of stuff that I would want to do. And then I, I think the other part of this too, I would, I would build uh some Saturday Freedom Schools. So you know, everybody's talking about how they don't want to teach Black History and all this other foolishness. I would just put up a Freedom School, and every kid that came to Freedom School on a Saturday morning, I'd give them like you know some money. You know, if you finish, you get this. If you start, and it. You would get this. That was that. That's what I would do with the month with a billion dollars. Of course, I would take care of my family. But you know, I'm not interested in driving a fancy car, having a. I do want a big house because my girlfriends and I we want a a big Golden Girls house somewhere. <laughs> you with the power? No, I didn't. I'm just saying, if I did, Harry, this is what I would. This is how I would spend my money. I was gonna say because I was just gonna make the Harry Droz fund where you could. Park some of your money. <laughs> Harry, what would you do with it? You wouldn't spend it neither. <laughs> I, you know, my wife would spend it. And, you know, she's a philanthropist at heart. So I would just find a hole on this earth to, you know, park myself. And then, my wife would do a lot of stuff, though. 
I would do a lot of st- I would do as much as I could. Yeah. I don't want to run. I like. I don't want to. I don't want to run anything. I just want to give money out. <laughs> no, you see, Karen would want to run stuff. Nope, 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 nope. She's. Uh, I don't, I don't want to run a damn thing. You know, she's one of these bleeding heart people. I am too, but I don't put my time in. I don't. I. I want to. I want to fund all the things that I, that bring me joy, and then that's it. I don't want to come over there. I don't want to be behind the desk. I don't want to be the face of nothing. I just want to spend oh, you know, money. You know, Karen wants to do the woman and, help women and children thing, you know? Yeah, I would too. I'd throw money at it. I'm not going out there, but I would. <laughs> I'm trying to think, why would I want to help? <laughs> <laughs> I, there's so many things. And there's so many existing myself. programs that I would help. And I would say, listen, you can fundraise if you want to. But here's eight million dollars. Do whatever you want with it. Yeah. So if you don't want to yeah. fundraise for a few years, I, don't. I would definitely do the women and children thing too, except on on the man scale. Teach people how to respect women and children. You know. Um, <laughs> okay. On on the man <laughs> point of view. Um, <laughs> I feel you. So there's that. That's what I would do, and I would do it in my my whole city, and then I would, you know, I would maintain a residence here, but I'd have my main residence someplace far away, oh, where you know yeah. it's summer all year round. <laughs> well, yeah, mine would be a hole somewhere. <laughs> I, no, I'm not gonna live in a hole, Harry. That's... It, won't, it won't matter the where I'm. I am because you know I'll be in a bunker somewhere, so the weather <laughs> wouldn't matter outside. It'd be. Uh, Temperature control inside my bunker. No, I, I need some place where it's really, really pretty. Lots of grounds that I could wander around and yes, sit around. Yeah, me, too. And... me too. I, I I love Mother Nature, but not so much that I want to move next to Florida or California. Yeah, uh, I don't want to buy any part of Mother Nature that's going to crumble, have an earthquake. <laughs> Or swallow me up. Although like, Harry, I do have a desire to be by the beach. I do. There, there is something about being by the beach. Well, you know, and I, even I, if I, I could get a decade by the beach, Harry, well, I, I will accept that. Well, Babs, I hear there's um property available next to the Obamas on Martha's Vineyard. Oh, really? I'd do it. That, that's different, right? That's not that bad, right? Yeah. That's no, bad. I would do that, Harry. That's but not, I wouldn't want to live Martha's. Up. You're not going to get swallowed up. No. But There's the, no the Jurassic thing, Park animals there. But the thing about that is, Harry, I don't only want to be there in the summer because, you know, yeah. that's off the coast of Massachusetts. Winter yeah. comes. So yeah, yeah, unfortunately. I don't want to be there in the winter, Harry. <laughs> i just be there from, I guess, May to October. Well, May know. to October. Yeah. But I don't like heat either. You like heat. That's I do like heat, Harry. Too much. I could be in the tropics. Uh, you know, I, I'll deal with the heat after I'm gone, you know? <laughs> when I go to hell. <laughs> All right, I think you better. I think you might want to deal with it now. I'll deal with the heat then. <laughs> see, see, if, see if you like it, then you can change your life. <laughs> then you can make different choices. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna complain so much that that was gonna throw me out of. You'd be like, "You got to get out out of here, <laughs> Mister Trolls." You'd be like, "How many times I told you? There's no AC in here. Leave me alone." 
<laughs> and the devil's gonna say, "You do know this is hell, right? Like this is what's happening." <laughs> well, I'm gonna make it a worse hell. <sighs> the devil's like, "It's not hell for me, but this guy is really making it hell for me." <laughs> By the way, that guy who was shot up in Maine. Yeah, did they catch him? They didn't catch him yet, but you know he. They gonna catch him. He was a firearms instructor. He was a <laughs> everything. He's like, wait a minute. He's so he's the guy who's supposed to teach you how to respect your weapon. I uh, know. And he's out there killing people. <laughs> they, they said twenty-two. He, uh, they said he he had a mental break. Yeah. Well. Now, now I don't understand. They they said he he did have a mental break recently. So. If a person who's a firearms instructor has a mental break, don't we go in and grab all those guns? Uh, ooh, Harry, you are trampling on people's... No, it's not trampling on anything. How about me? Trampling on people's rights. Yeah, trample on my life. I mean... I know. Harry, I'm with you. Should, I think once um, you get that diagnosis, somebody yeah. ought to be like, hey... It's a wrap. We got to come over here and pick up all these things. We'll it's store a wrap once you get that diagnosis, it's our job to take care of you and and take care of the public that has to deal with you. So, yeah, I and also, I'm tired of hearing, oh, he was on the FBI's radar. Oh, he had a mental this. Oh, he had. A, well, what the hell are we doing about that stuff? I don't giving want to them, that, giving that them guns. No, <laughs> letting, letting them get guns. <laughs> that makes no sense. I, you know, it's like, oh yeah, he was on this person's radar or that person. Oh yeah, he had a mental break. Well, I mean, th isn't this why we pay taxes for? Uh -huh. So law enforcement, uh -huh. law, law enforcement takes care of stuff like that. Uh huh. I don't, mm -hmm. Harry. That sounds like you need to be at somebody's city hall meeting having a conversation. I want. Well, I want a refund. <laughs> Give me my taxes back if you ain't gonna take care of me. <laughs> I understand the the random, you know, violence thing, but when you see it coming because he's on somebody's radar or he had a mental break, well, that... every mental break doesn't translate into no. I'm gonna kill twenty two people. But you have to have a pause on his uh, guns. I think I think somebody has to ask questions. I don't think they asked the questions, Harry. I mean, I'm sure there isn't a red flag law in Maine, right? Because Maine looks like, you know, <laughs> like everybody has a gun, even, uh, you know, preschooler. But um, there has to be red flag laws for things like this. Not because, you know, your neighbor doesn't like you and says, hey, I think this guy's dangerous. But when there's a mental break that has been documented by doctors, a red flag law needs to take effect. Especially when other people know that you are a firearms instructor. <laughs> I mean. I know. I know you can't. Uh, it has the NRA said anything yet? They just silent. They silent. Are they silent? Are they quiet? Like what are they? Are they saying well, anything? Well, the NRA has not. It's the state laws that need to change. I know, but the NRA, the NRA is one of the strongest lobbying. Well, the NRA arm, has a strong lobbying arm for pushing back against anybody and anything that 
looks like they're going to put in legislation to take firearms from people under any circumstance. That's on the on the federal level, right? But like in New Haven, where these are local laws that can be you know put into place, and I don't know. Yeah, who... but we don't we don't have that problem in New Haven. So but, far, but we've not saying, had mass shootings where no, people. No, but I'm saying, you know, if that's where it needs to take place on the local level, because you're never gonna get um, Washington to agree on the set on the Second Amendment um, stuff. So you're always that's always gonna be a battle. But on the local level, you're allowed to do things, and that's where all politics is local. Well, I mean. I wonder, I, I'd be interested in hearing what they do in Maine. Yeah. Interested in hearing if people are affected enough to make change at the local level about who gets to have uh, uh, firearms or not. And, right. And it's not like you're saying nobody gets to have a firearm, but if you are mentally uh, dangerous, you don't get to have them. Mm. It's just it's simple. It's like everybody doesn't, everybody can't. Be allowed to just walk around half cocked and half cocked, you know, mentally. So, but anyway, you're listening to Love Babs Love Talk on WNHH LP 103.5 FM, your home for community radio. And I jumped in because I heard Babs talking about giving away money, and I was like, what? I'm just saying, if I had a billion dollars, like count me in (laughs) the things that I would do, you know. (laughs) Yeah, (sighs) I mean, you still would move to Costa Rica, right? Costa Rica, Kigali, Rwanda, somewhere. You know, some place where there's no military. (laughs) Costa Rica. I'm like, how do you exist? There's no military. Why? Why doesn't somebody take you over? Now, I'd like to live someplace peaceful. That would be it. You know. Plus, the press not going to hound me. He, they're not, not going to go to those overrated, places. Babs. Peace is overrated. <laughs> but I'd like to try it out anyway. <laughs> At least that's what I hear. I'm in the news. Every day. It's like... <laughs> it's like, yeah, we, you know, we're on the verge of nuclear war, nuclear holocaust, uh, World War Three, uh, But... Yeah, some people deserve to die. That's why, I mean, if you read between the lines <laughs> in the newspaper, it's like, what? Mm-hmm. We're going to hell in the handbasket. It's just like unbelievable. That's, I think we should uh, go get saved pretty soon. Those, those saved people are boring. <laughs> Let's go have get you ever, saved. Have you, have you ever met anybody saved, Harry, that you really want to spend time with? <laughs> We I don't like those. Those save people, born again people. They are annoying and dumb. Oh. <laughs> annoying check. <laughs> yeah. Dull check. But uh, they yeah. don't. They don't appreciate a good cocktail, a good cigar, or a pair of pants on a woman. So I'm done. Like I can't mess with them. Man, what what is wrong? Well, you know, woman woman in dress dresses are good. Woman in pants, so. good. I, I don't get it. It's all good. I know. I don't get it either. But I mean, patriarchal woman. stuff is not my cup of tea. So I mean, woman, good. So yeah. all right, we're gonna take a break. I'm coming back with Bruce Cohen. Point. <laughs> 
What? Anyway, <laughs> sorry. Coming back, coming back with uh 1015 with Bruce Cohen, uh the producer of uh, uh Rusted. I watched it last night. Thank you, Netflix. And uh be oh, it's a Netflix thing? Yeah, it, it comes on Netflix later in the month, but they let me screen it. So so I watched it last night. It's good. Oh cool. Let's see if I could uh pull up some music here. Okay. Do my job. Right. <laughs> so you're, you're listening to Love Fast Love Talk on WNHHLP 103.5 FM, your home for community radio. We'll be right back. Look for that link. Love Fast Love Talk. And she'll have Bruce Cohen coming up, the producer of Rustin.
back to the second hour of love babs love talk on babs rolls ivy i'm delighted this morning to have uh bruce cohen on hey bruce cohen unmute yourself let's get into this conversation <laughs> good morning i'm delighted to be on with you how are you i well full disclosure i was very honored with my husband to get to be guests at the state dinner at the white house last night so i am in washington dc and all good Oh, and you're up this early? I still would be asleep. <laughs> <laughs> this is late for me. <laughs> oh, okay. You're an early riser. One of these people, I get up at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> oh, no, not four o'clock. Not four o'clock. So let me just tell people about your Yale alum. Uh, you produce, you are one of the producers of Rustin. Um, you are known for, uh, 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 let's see, uh, Milk which uh, Academy Award nominated Milk, Silver Linings Playbook, which I love, 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 and American Beauty. And so now you're producing Rustin, which is the story of uh, Bayard Rustin, who was the architect of the uh, March on Washington that almost was lost to obscurity. And here we are. Yes, that is correct. Bayard Rustin made history. He changed history and history repaid him by forgetting him. Mm. So what was it about this story, uh, Bruce, that said, you know what, I, I really want to do this? I had known about Bayard. There was a beautiful documentary in the 90s called Brother Outsider. And I remember seeing it then and thinking, why does no one know the story of the man who created the March on Washington? <clears throat> and then Dustin Lance Black and Julian Brees, who had written the screenplay, um, sent me the script. I'd worked with Dustin on Milk. And so I was super excited to get a script about Bayard. And then when I read it, I just loved it. And I knew that if I could play any part in changing the narrative around the fact that no one knows who he is and that he's been lost to history, but that this could be a chance to reverse that, I was all in. Okay, so so you say, all right, I'm all in. And then you assemble a team because, listen, this cast is ridiculously heavy hitting. I, I'm impressed by, by the caliber of talent in this one film. <laughs> well, the two things that really um, solidified the team and help us put together that amazing cast is that first we went to George C. Wolfe, the brilliant stage and film director. He had directed the original production of Angels in America. He had just directed the film of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom two years ago. And so he was really our first choice to direct Rustin. And then uh, fortuitously, while we were trying to get this movie made and we were learning again and again that no one knows who Bayard Rustin is, 
I remembered thinking, well, I know one person who knows who Bayard Rustin is. And the person I was thinking of was who had presented Bayard Rustin with the Presidential Medal of Freedom ah. posthumously 10 years ago on the 50th anniversary of the march. And that was President Barack Obama. And as these sometimes the universe works out in these magical ways, President and Mrs. Obama had just opened their production company, Higher Ground at Netflix, the month before. So we had the idea of let's send this script to the Obamas and see if they wanted to come on board. And that was a real game changer for getting it made once they say once they said yes and once Netflix said yes. Oh, wait. And then and then the, the icing on the cake is the music. Oh, Lord, yes. <laughs> I'm thinking, all right, Bradford Marsalis is pretty big. But then you get Lenny Kravitz to sing the song. And I'm thinking to myself, this movie is just way over the top, gorgeous and beautifully uh, presented. Well, Bramford and George have this incredible collaboration. This is the third movie they've done together. And they really work back and forth, which is um, incredible. And I'd never seen it before between a director and a composer. Sometimes George would put together a sequence and send it to Bramford and Bramford would write music to it. And sometimes Branford would just write music and send it to George, and then George would edit a sequence to Branford's music. So it was really amazing to watch them work. I am obsessed with Branford's score. I think it is so beautiful and incredible and really propels the movie along from start to finish. And then when it came to an end title song at the end, it was a really high bar because Spoiler alert, the film has just ended with the March on Washington and what George C. Wolf really wanted a song that starts at the feeling you already have at the end of the film and takes you to some new place. So mm -hmm. we were thinking, you know, who's an artist that might have the um, power and and uh, passion to do that? Um, I've I've known Lenny for decades. We've actually been really good friends for many, many, many years. Um, and a really family. I'm a godfather to his daughter, Zoe. Um, <laughs> and so we went to Lenny and fortunately he said yes. And spectacularly, he wrote Road to Freedom, which just uh, sends you out of the theaters soaring. Oh, it did. I mean, I, well, I had the pleasure of uh, Netflix sent me the opportunity to screen it last night. And, and I watched and I was going, it was, it was just the right ending. Just the right ending. Uh, but what, what I was really struck by is this cast. This is a really interesting cast. Heavy hitters. You got Glenn Turman. You got Chris Rock, for God's sake. Uh, C.C. Audrey McDonald. Audrey Mc and, and I think um, uh, Mr. Wright, who is probably one of the best actors of our time in yeah. this thing. And I'm thinking, and then Coleman uh, Domingo, who is who is physically gorgeous looking, right? Like he's physically gorgeous looking. But he... He made me believe he was uh, Bayard Rustin. Like he made me believe it. Well, the cast is due to three words or maybe nine words, George C. Wolfe, George C. Wolfe, George C. Wolfe. Um, he is known for his beautiful work with actors. Every actor in the business dreams of getting the chance to work with George. And he has an ensemble of actors who he loves to work with, who sort of follow him everywhere. And those include... Coleman Domingo, Glenn Turman, Audra McDonald, and Jeffrey Wright. 
So those four were really the linchpin. Those are kind of his go-to actors. They're coincidentally four literally of the best actors working today, if not in history. And so fortunately for us, all four of them wanted to be a part of this project. And that's where we started. And as you can imagine, once you have those four in your movie, <laughs> it becomes a lot easier to cast the Chris Rocks and CCH founders and Adrian Warrens. Now, is that is that the beauty of having a George Wolf as, as a director? Like who says no to him, right? Like he could pretty much pick who he likes and, and people just like know and trust that this is a worth, worthwhile project. That is, and that's really part of the job of the producer is if you don't, you've got to have the right director and hopefully the perfect director for the project, or you're going to be pushing that rock uphill from the get-go. So in the case of Bayard Rustin, just one of the many reasons why we knew that George was the perfect director is that he was going to be able, and he did, assemble this all-star cast to tell this all-star story to make sure that when this movie hits theaters on November 3rd and then is on Netflix on November 17th, our dream is that Bayard Rustin is not going to be lost to history anymore. And from now on, people are going to know who he is and know what he did. I, I love the way that, because uh, I, I think, and, and I, I'm not, um, I'm not a, a, a homosexual, but I am a black woman. And I, 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 and I, and I understand sometimes tropes and and uh and and that you can portray people not as who they are but but what the general what people think they are and i think this film does a really good job of um centering his homosexuality but not in the usual way that we tend to think homosexuals are like he was a real human being with he was witty and he was funny and he was charming and he was you know and he was thoughtful well, I love that you said all of that. And, you know, intersectionality, which is this beautiful, powerful term that I love that's around now, which is this idea of if we don't all have rights, none of us have rights. And the minute we're in one at underrepresented community, if we're not embracing and believing in and empathetic towards members of another underrepresented community, then we're part of the problem. We become the oppressors. Mm -hmm. And that's an idea, happily, that's gaining more power now and in the nick of time, because you know what's happening now is all of our rights are at risk. Black people are losing their rights, gay people are losing their rights, women are losing their rights in ways that we didn't even think was possible five years ago. We thought, oh, the battle's won, we have all these rights, and now they're being yanked away from us. So if we're not all in this struggle together, we don't have a shot. And Bayard Rustin understood that 60 years ago. He mm -hmm. was putting these coalitions together, this coalition that he brought together for the march, rich, poor, black, white, working class, young, old. That's the coalition that we're going to need to put together again if we're going to survive. I, I think you're absolutely right, Bruce. And, uh, and I'll tell you what else I loved about the film. I felt like I was seeing behind the scenes of that moment of time because everybody likes to romanticize the March on Rock Washington, but there was a lot of backfighting and a lot of backstabbing in that, in those moments. And it wasn't all, it wasn't just 
Uh, everybody was like, we're all going to go along with Dr. King. There were people in his midst who was not in line with that whole, let's do this, let's peacefully do this, let's, why are we doing this? So I'm, I am fascinated by the ability to sort of look behind the, the curtain on all of that. Well, your calling that out just made President Obama very happy because <laughs> that was one of his big, beautiful, powerful notes to us is when he read an initial draft of the screenplay, which he loved, he said, you know, people today, they think marches are marches. You know, they've seen the Women's March. And with Black Lives Matter, thank God we were all out in the streets marching. But this, at this time, there had never been a march before. Bayard invented this idea <laughs> of hundreds of thousands of people marching. And so President Obama really wanted to make sure we showed the behind the scenes of how that came together, how the different groups fought and ultimately joined sides, how the sandwiches were made, how the latrines were ordered, because he felt like you really want an audience watching it today to understand that this was invented by Bayard for the March on Washington in 1963. And, and I think he had nerves of steel. Like you have to have a lot of guts and a lot of nerves of steel because he was catching it from a lot of places from from the security detail, not really wanting to be a security detail, from people within the NAACP who were feeling some kind of way about this, and from um, Martin Luther King, who was, I believe, his mentor and dear friend, who was, you know, a little uneasy about this, too. Absolutely. George Wolf likes to say, which I love, you know, people ask various versions of the question, like, how could Bayard Rustin have been out in 1963, which is a great question because literally no one was. I mean, being out was not really even a thing. And here's this Black gay man living proudly as a Black gay man. And what George always says is, Bayard literally did not have time to feel shame around being gay. He's like, I have a march to plan. I cannot even spend a minute on worrying about that. And I just love that so much. And, and I, you know, and I know like his love interest was, I, from what I read, was a composite of folks because you don't want to out people, you know, you don't want to unintentionally out people. Um, and I, but I think it was handled with such care. Like it was very loving. Like it was done beautifully. It didn't seem like harsh or over the top, it just seemed just the right amount of care with this, with this, with his love interest. Thank you, and and yes, you're right. Our research showed that there were there were probably several closeted gay ministers who were active in the civil rights movement. None of them ever came out. In many cases, even today, their families don't even know. So we were we clearly knew there was no way we were going to be outing anyone, which is why we created the composite character. But we've already in screenings, people will come up to us who were there then and will say things like, I know who that character is. So we feel like we definitely uh, got that right. Has the, has the Rustin family seen the film? Do they know of the film? Did they bless the film? There, well, there isn't much of Rustin family left because as you learn in the movie, his mom flew the coop and he was raised by his grandparents. And of course, they're long gone, who is around and who has blessed the film and who has 
part of the great journey we're on with screenings around the country is Walter Nagel, who was his partner. They met 10 years after the march, and then they were together for the last 10 years of Bayard's life. And also Rochelle Horowitz and a lot of the women, Joyce Ladner, Dory Ladner, the um, or the character in the film, that she went on to become Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton. And she's been doing Q&As and Evolve. So we have a, a good group of the people that were actually around then and actually who knew and loved Bayard who have loved the film. And we also um, had to show the King estate and the King family because we use a bit of the I Have a Dream speech. And so they had to bless the film, which they did, which had huge meaning to us. The fact that they stand behind this movie and are proud of it is just huge. Yeah, because they, they're, they're, not, they're not easily uh, ready to put the King name on stuff. Like they, they don't just willy nilly say, you know, we stand with this, we do that. They're very, uh, they're very uh, discerning about when they stamp something. And so that's got to be a huge, huge uh, 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 blessing to have them Correct. say, okay, we like this. We were, um, I, we did a screening in Atlanta um, just a few nights ago and Andrew Young was there who had been at the civil rights movement, who was mayor of Atlanta, who was an ambassador and he was he at the end was saying of all the films i've ever seen about the civil rights movement this is the one who got it right you got it absolutely right and so you know that's why you you do things like this is to get comments and moments like that andrew young had met byard in 1951 he was a student at a seminary in connecticut studying to be a minister (laughs) and which and MLK was there too at the same time which is in the new biography of MLK and it mentioned Andrew Young they were both in seminaries in Connecticut studying to be ministers in the early 50s and Bayard had come to Andrew's seminary and spoken to the kids there and you know Dr. King was here picking picking uh cotton uh tobacco yeah near New Haven yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 To make money for school. I know yeah. That. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, so, oh, good Lord. I, I love that um, there's still some civil rights uh, leaders still among us that can see this film and have a uh, a remembrance of about that moment and, and can speak to that moment. Um, um, well, have you have you, I, you heard from Andrew Young and Eleanor uh, Holmes Norton? Um, who who else is who else is around to sort of think? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it was it was 60 years ago, exactly. So there are certainly still a lot of people who are alive and around. I mean, we've heard, which is beautiful from a lot of just regular people when, you know, whenever we screen the film, older people will come up with this beautiful look in their eyes. And I think, oh, what are they going to tell me? And then they'll start saying, I was at the march and they'll tell their story. Um, my father was at the march and, you know, he was very moved by the film. And so that's been really um, powerful to get to give those people back, you know, another journey through their really strong memories of that day and then what it ended up meaning and how it changed the whole world. I I, I tell you, the film is very bright looking. Like it doesn't look dreary and tired. It looks as it's colorful. It's bright. Um, people look beautiful in it. You captured that moment. Was that was that deliberate? Because you you could have taken a different tone with how it looks. That that was very deliberate. 
Bayard Rustin was a wildly joyful, entertaining, charismatic, hilarious person. And we felt the movie needed to be all of those things. There were various moments in production where both George and Coleman Domingo felt the presence of Bayard with us. And we started getting this very strong sense that if this movie isn't entertaining enough for Bayard, he is going to roll over in his grave and <laughs> kick all of our asses. And we did not want that to happen. <laughs> on, a, on a more serious note, Bruce, are you concerned about the folks who will object to this film, who will attach critical race theory to it, uh, the, the, the very uh, anti-gay folks and, you know, they'll feel like this is teaching something or that's not. And I mean, do you concern yourself with with the pushback on this film? The I mean, that's been, you know, that's been a theme in some of the work I've done, because certainly it happened with Milk and certainly we will get it on this. And the headline answer is no. If we're upsetting the forces of darkness who want to take all of our rights away, then we've done something right. But also, but then in a more nuanced um, discussion, the film isn't really for them. The film is for two groups of people. The film is for the pre the film is to preach to the choir, to remind all of us who already believe in truth and justice for all. By uh, Coleman has that amazing line in the film: "They either believe in truth and justice for all." or they do not. And that's really the overall theme of the movie is if you're thinking like, well, these people deserve their rights, but these people don't, you know, in to today's, to the moment today, if, if Israelis deserve their rights, but Palestinians don't, or the other way around, then no, you're missing the point, which is we either all have our rights or none of us have our rights. So for everyone who believes in that, this is hopefully, you know, inspiring and entertaining and, and a call to action and, to get everyone to realize, well, look what he did. You know, what can I do? Um, as CCH Pounder says at the end of the film, did you make yourself useful today? And, you know, we hope that that's challenging our activist audience. How am I going to make myself useful tomorrow? But then in some ways, the most exciting audience is that smaller, movable audience in the middle who may not think they want to see a story about a Black gay person they may not think they have anything to learn from it, but if we can get them to see it, if they tune in in the theater or in Netflix, the film might actually change their minds just along the way that you were talking about the portrayal of all the issues. And if we can reach just a few people, you know, every person you reach who are like, oh, I never realized that me wanting my rights, but not wanting some other group to have theirs was an issue, you know, then we've really made some magic. Mm. Now, we all know that um, Black women in the march have been sort of relegated to the behind, back, and underneath. But uh, you censored some. You got Ella Baker in there, and uh, and you got C.C. Uh, Pounder, C.C.H. Pounder's uh, character in there. Um, that looked like it was, it felt very strategic. Like, you didn't want to leave a woman's voice out of it, even though they were kind of left out of it. Correct. It was, you know, we were, we knew a little bit, but the more Julian and Lance, and then when George came on board, we all did our research and higher ground. Because of course, when you're working with the Obamas, they have a very high standard of historical accuracy on everything. And the more we learned about how horrific women were treated and left out of the march, the more upset we were. It goes exactly to what I was just talking about. You know, here's this march who's 
espousing equal rights and claiming to fight for the rights of black people everywhere. And they're leaving women out. I mean, <laughs> WTF, as we say. But, you know, that was what happened in 1963. So we were like, OK, well, there's no way there's no way we don't want to touch on that story. If we were just telling the story of the march, there wouldn't be that many women involved, which was part of the whole problem. So we really did want to tell that story. The amazing Ella Baker, played by the extraordinary Audra McDonald, who people also don't know enough about, and she needs a movie of her own. She's actually one of the women who was not at the march. She refused to go because of how women had been treated. So, you know, the fact that you would throw the march on Washington and that Ella Baker doesn't show up in protest just shows you, you know, what a catastrophe that side of things was. Wow. So I'm hoping that this film is is a very teachable moment for history. Like that's what I'm hoping that this film does. And I and I I think um uh, a wide audience could ex- see this. Like teenagers uh, and college students like could see this film. Is that is that your hope? Like who do you want to see this film? No, that absolutely is. We really hope that it will have mainstream appeal that that a whole wide group of people see the film because it's exactly what I was talking about before. The the core audience and the the activists and the black queer community and black activists and people who are like, oh, yeah, I want to learn more about Bayard Rustin. You know, of course, the, the movie in many ways is for them and we want and love for them to see the film. But the the fun of it and the excitement and the potential for it to be a teachable moment is that people who actually need the teachable moment will watch the <laughs> film. And it's one of also one of the things I'm a big believer in science for the universe. And it's one of the things that I really love about how it ended up being that this movie is for Netflix, because what's going to happen on on November 17th, when this movie goes up on Netflix with a touch of a button, this film about a man that no one has heard of is going to be in 169 countries in front of 300 million people instantly. And no other, pl- there's, a, you know, a, a theatrical distribution you could never get in front of that many people on the same day ever. So that's really powerful. And we're hoping that the film is going to spread out into the world and mm-hmm. really do some of the magic that I feel like it has within its heart and soul to do. So, Bruce, do you feel like this is your calling to work on films um, that speak to uh, injustice and human condition? And or, or or do you ever feel like I just want to make a silly little film? Like, what do you, can you see that for yourself? <laughs> I mean, certainly both. Like, I, I I'm you know I, I I'm not only interested in doing projects that have this social action, social justice opportunity to change the world, but it is certainly something that I didn't plan. And the fact that it has happened, I just feel, I find it so humbling and I feel so honored to ever be in a position to help make a film that might do that. So yes, that's certainly a great passion of mine and something that I hope I never stop doing for as long as I'm making content. So you're coming to Yale on Saturday. When's the last time yep. you've been on this campus? <laughs> uh, I Well, I come back to Yale a lot. And like, I think last spring was probably the last time. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Like that. Last spring was the last time I was at Yale. Because you're a class of uh, 
83? Yes. Yes. So you yes. come in to screen the film at um under the Schwartzman Center uh coordination. Uh are Correct. you excited? I'm extremely excited. There's a lot of um great folks from Yale who are coming. I have friends of mine coming. The uh, members of the administration are coming. We did a special outreach to uh, black student groups, to queer student groups, to queer black student groups to make sure that they <laughs> were all knew about the film and had a chance to come watch. So I cannot wait for Saturday night. And um, for those of you listening, if you want to come, hopefully there are, there are still tickets available and we'd love to have you come out and see the movie. And I'll be there to introduce the film and to do a Q&A afterwards. Yes, yes, I'm looking forward to it. So I look forward to meeting you. I thank you for I your time. I can't wait to meet you. I can't wait to meet you. I'm, this film is very beautiful. I enjoyed it. I watched it last night uh, and it had my full attention. And, I, and when it was over, I was like, man, I wanted to go a little bit more. Like I wanted a little bit more uh, because I just thought Coleman Domingo um, uh, was just luscious in this. And and so- I agree. Is it, so when you make this film, and maybe you can't say this, but does it, does it make the Oscar rounds? Do you, does someone have to put this in for that? Or do you wish for that or hope for that? We, yeah, we are making the Oscar rounds. We, you know, awards is one of the ways that you get your message out. It's one of the ways that you get your film noticed. And, you know, voters in all these different um, categories, the Oscars and the Writers Guild, SAG, all of these awards, um, you know, they, that's one of the things they're looking for is they love it, films that are entertainment, but they also love films that have this added aspect of having something to say and maybe changing the world in a positive way. It's one of the amazing things. And it's what I'm very proud to be a part of the entertainment industry is, you know, films and television shows are one of the ways that the message of change gets spread around the world you can sometimes get your message across in an entertaining way on an important issue in a film with a movie star faster and more than any politician could ever do it in speeches for their whole lives. So, you know, that's a really important um, plus of what film and television can do and awards voters love that and respect that. So yes, we're definitely out on the trail, but that's not you know, that's not why you make a film, but it is a beautiful, fun part of the process if you're lucky enough to be in the mix for things. Oh, I love it. And, you know, let me tell you something. Let me put in my bid right now. If your husband can't go with you to the Oscars, <laughs> <laughs> I'm available and I have a ball gown. <laughs> okay. Well, you're, you're, actually, I think my 12 year old daughter has first dibs. <laughs> Then my husband, but he's not a big, you might actually slide it ahead of him because sometimes he's happy to miss those events. So I'll keep you posted. Well, it, it was my pleasure to talk to you, Bruce Cohen. Thank you for making so much time available to talk about this beautiful, beautiful film. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for watching and enjoying this beautiful film. And I can't wait to meet you Saturday night. Yes, I'll see you Saturday night in the space. So Perfect. have a good Excellent. day. Enjoy the rest of your day. Go have some coffee, some breakfast, and uh, enjoy Washington. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Bruce. Appreciate you. <laughs> Appreciate you. All right. Harry, I'm out. So uh, I won't be on tomorrow because I'm going to go and uh, participate at Gateway at the uh, the new center that's opening um, tomorrow. 
and it's an all-day affair, Harry, so I won't be here tomorrow. I will be at Gateway at the Melton uh, McAvey Center for Equity and Justice for the day at uh, Gateway Community College. So so I won't be here on Friday, so I'll recap you on the weekend, about the weekend on Monday, and uh, I will definitely go, go and see this film one more time. Uh, uh, thank you, Schwartzman Center. And thank you, uh, <laughs> thank you, uh, uh, Natalie and Emily for coordinating this effort. Uh, this was so much fun. And I enjoyed Bruce Cohen a whole lot. So thank y'all. I'll see y'all on Monday. Anyway, stay tuned. Uh, Harry probably will do Love Harry Love Conspiracy tomorrow. <laughs> oh my lord! <laughs> I'll see y'all next week. <laughs>